0: Turn first to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and I'll start reading with um, verse 19. This is when Daniel actually revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the guys that, the other magicians were really happy because they were going to die if Daniel didn't didn't figure this out. But the Lord gave it to him. Starting verse 19, Daniel chapter 2 Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things, he knows what is in darkness, and light dwells with him. We'll stop right there. So Daniel establishes what we know already, but I uh, just wanted to give a scriptural reference references, that nations are going to rise, nations are going to fall. But God is the one that actually lifts them up, pushes them down, lifts them up, pushes them down, lifts them up, pushes them down for a period of time. And America on the world stage is actually pretty young compared to other nations that have gone before us. Ancient empires were much older uh, the Roman Empire, uh, much older. Even the British Empire was, was older and lasted longer uh, than us. Now turn over to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. I want to emphasize again where who God holds responsible at the nation-state level. Ezekiel chapter 22, starting with verse 23. Ezekiel 22 starting with verse 23 And the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man say to her her being Israel you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation the conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey they have devoured people they have taken treasure and precious things they have made many widows in her midst her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. They have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned. There it is again, right? It's God's name again. He really, really doesn't like his name profaned. That I am profaned among them, her princes. Okay, stop right there for a second. Those first few verses were to religious leaders. So God says, your religious leaders lead people astray. Now, it's happening still today, and we, we, we looked at uh, apostasy in America. It is it is alive and well. It goes a couple different ways. It is saying things that are absolutely not true, distorting things, or not saying things that need to be said. And that was common in Israel, too. When the, pro- when the, the prophets would say, peace, peace, and there is no peace, they basically would not give the word of the Lord. And, you know, basically you have an Isaiah over here saying this, and, and Jeremiah's over here waving his hand saying this, and all the other prophets saying, these, don't listen to these guys, they're really doomsday. They really have a bad negative attitude about Israel. That's kind of the way they say it. Some people, if they didn't, uh, well, even if they heard everything I have to say in context, would still say, well, I have a negative attitude about doomsday. America. I don't at all. Not the slightest bit worried. I, I I love this country. I love the people, and I will be here just like you, as long as God a- allows us to be here. And but at the same time, if we understand what this word says, then there's some real strong, incredibly strong, incredibly stern warning for us. I read on in verse 27. Her princes. Now this is the political realm. This is the government leaders. These are the guys that are the, court. this is your Supreme Court, your local magistrates, your mayors, your governors, your presidents, your Congress. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? You circle to get dishonest gain. Now you'd say, well, that, I, don't think our, I don't think our leaders do that. You'll think? There weren't many tears shed by politicians on the people that died in Benghazi. Matter of fact, uh, everyone moved on to business as usual pretty quickly. The president was in Las Vegas with a big party the next, or the same day or the next night. Unbelievable. And you look at all the abortions in this country, that doesn't matter to most of our politicians if they can get the woman single vote that's more important babies dying not that big a deal but it says right here they shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain they'll use wars they'll use abortion they'll use political campaigns it doesn't matter it's all about it's all about gain and God says, you know, Israel had a lot of this at all levels of their leadership, both spiritual leaders and governmental leaders. And we have the same issues in America. We have the same issues. It doesn't mean that there weren't any righteous in Israel. It doesn't mean there aren't any righteous in, in our uh, leadership. There are. But predominantly, whatever direction the nation goes, that's who holds the power. Again, if you look at America... I look around the room. Some of you are in the education business. Do Christians own the American education system? Absolutely not. We don't own the universities. We don't own the school systems. We don't own the media. We don't own the government. Can you think of anything that that, that you and I, if we say, hey, we'd like to do it this way according to the Bible, it'll be done that way tomorrow? Nothing. The leaders, the wicked leaders, just like in Israel, that own the course of the nation, even if there was a guy like Jeremiah waving his arms like this, saying, don't build the high places. What'd they do? They built the high places. Jeremiah, shut up. We like high places. We're just going to burn a little incense on it, and then after a while, they were doing full-blown all kinds of things. You name it. So, look at verse 30, though. This should be you and I Verse 30, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land that I should not what? Destroy it. This is how serious it is for America. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God says, I looked across the land. Now, it's interesting that God would say that because there actually were still some godly people there. But at the leadership level, at somebody who could say enough is enough at the leadership level, no one. No one at that level. No one that was running for president. No one that was in the Supreme Court, nobody that was running you know, the, the major cities, no one that was running the infrastructure of the country, nobody would stand in the gap. Yeah, you would have the prophets, but no one at the leadership level, nobody, a nation going off the rails. That, that was Israel. Let's take a look um, America, what we know about our country, again, America's not mentioned in prophecy, so we don't have any, you can't find a single verse that says anything about the United States. But here's what we do know, and I didn't put up the verses because I would actually have to put so many verses, I don't have time to put them all up. Number one, every nation in the world is going to be severely judged. If you're coming here this Sunday. We'll see this in depth because we'll talk about the Great Tribulation. Every nation is going to be severely judged. Every nation. North Korea, Yemen, right? Small countries, big countries, China. Every nation is going to be judged. The Bible's really clear. Uh, Isaiah 34, for example, will, all the nations of the world, just as an example. Every nation is going to be judged. We know that's coming. So if we go back to the timeline, if that's coming and we are near the end of the, the fourth quarter or overtime or whatever it may be, if we're getting near the end of the end times before the Great Tribulation, then we're pretty close to all nations. And guess what? America is in the list of all nations. So that we can cross that off right off the bat. America will be judged just like every other nation. Number two, many great income, many great empires, kingdoms, we all agree have already been judged. Many, many great empires. The Mongolian Empire one time, you know, I love history. How many of you like history? I love to read about Genghis Khan and all these you know, things like that. You, you read history and you're like, these, here's a guy, he was wicked, really wicked, but yet they stretched all the way into Europe. I've been uh, studying some of the ancient African nations. Unbelievable. Some of the things that go way back uh, 3000, 2000, 3000 BC that, that are fairly unknown to most people. Uh, all kinds of things and we 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 really have reason to believe that some of the ancient empires did world exploration circled the globe it's all kinds of things that went on long before you that's why solomon wrote there's nothing new under the sun <laughs> he's like you guys think you're so impressive before the flood we don't know what took place it could have been i i've said before one of the reasons people may not have got on the ark not wasn't because they had never seen something so amazing. They might have thought it was technologically weak. Really? Why are you building something that you know, looks so Mickey Mouse? Of course, it was shaped like a coffin. That's you know not, not exciting to get on either, but actually the coffin was where they were at. The ark was the opposite, even though it was shaped that way. A nation that refuses to repent will be absolutely and eventually... Judged. True? Next one, Israel. Now, Israel is the classic case study. If Israel is judged, everyone else is getting judged. Because Israel was is God's chosen people, apple of his eye, the seed of Abraham. I mean, they have all the promises and in the inheritance. Paul writes of this, and yet they were judged. Incredibly, incredibly severely. Why? One of the big reasons is they had more significant knowledge of God than all the other countries. And I would argue so does America. Americans, even unsaved Americans, you would be surprised if you and I, because Americans hide what they know so well now, you and I would be surprised how many of your, even people you met at work or so, that, that, that act like they don't know a single thing about God, how many of them have a Bible at their house and actually went to Sunday school when they were a kid. Right? There's a lot of knowledge in this country. Now they suppress the knowledge, as Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1, but there is a decent amount of knowledge, and significantly more than countries around the world where they don't have any of what most Americans have been exposed to. And then lastly, America is most like Israel in that We are associated by the world as a nation that actually believes in the true and living God. We don't have on our dollar bill in Allah we trust. It does not say on our dollar bill in Buddha we trust. When it says God, everyone fundamentally understands that that's the Judeo-Christian God. Capital G-O-D. It does not in any way, say, the great spirit in the sky or any of these other things, everyone in the world knows that America, whether they think America's following that or more is a different story, but they know that America traditionally is a nation that identifies with the same God of Israel. Same God. And similar to Israel, I mean, we don't have in in Jesus Christ we trust on the dollar bill. uh, We have God as in God the Father, the Almighty. So these are things, this is what we absolutely know about America, that if all these are true, and the previous passages we looked at are true, and the track we're on is true, then what can we conclude? Let's take a look at the next. This was Israel's, this is not an exhaustive list, This is what I put up as a top ten. There's ten commandments. They don't match the top ten. Israel was guilty, just like America, of many more than ten sins. But these are ten that are mentioned quite a bit, and I, I only put a few verses. Number one, a multitude of idolatry. And as we go through this list, think about, does America look like that, or are we completely different? Well, of course, we don't have uh, the kind of idolatry that the ancients had. We don't have, riding down Hall Street, altars set up on a high hill uh, with a shaman or a priest up at the top of the hill waving you in uh, so you can actually burn incense to the God of the sun or, or Baal or Molech or whatever the case may be. We don't need that because most people, they have their gods in their pocket, on their phone. You know, in their head, in the car they're actually driving, all these other things. So we actually have all the same idolatry, we just have it in different ways. Hypocritical worship. This is the one that God hated. The children of Israel, they would continue at times to keep coming to the temple and worship God and He said, it nauseates me when you worship. I don't even want you to come and worship. I don't hear you, I don't Receive anything you're doing. So if we're not worshiping with a clean heart, it really is nauseating to God. And I would say that America uh, would be guilty of that as well. Adultery and fornication were prevalent. Sexual immorality of all kinds. Um, God even says that children of Israel exceeded Sodom and Gomorrah. They were worse. They came to a place where they were worse than Sodom, all kinds of sexual sin. And not only that, it talks about uh, in ancient Israel when they had become really laden with sexual sin, they had a lot of other things that we see in America today, a lot of incest. (coughs) God mentions it specifically. Fathers with their daughters, strange things like that. Is America not... I I heard a statistic from one of the other Calvary Chapel pastors that it's believed that 1 in 10 U.S. women are now the victim of incest. Now, I don't know if it's that high. You don't have to go around quoting that. I just heard it from someone else. But I don't think that that would probably be a stretch anymore. We've got so much perversion. But it's not just that. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, all sexual sin falls under that. Is America guilty there? Absolutely. We, We produce as much pornography as any nation on the planet. And yet we have in God we trust on a dollar bill. Murder and sacrifice of innocent children. Israel never killed anywhere near as many children as we have, you know, with the 40 to 50 million uh, babies that have been killed. We have dwarfed anything Israel's ever done. Israel never approached those kind of numbers. Not even close. So the sacrifice of children. And remember, it is a sacrifice. If you look at where... If I go back to that slide where I had the pie chart, and it said percentage of abortions for unwed mothers, 40%. 40% of unwed mothers have abortion. Why? Because they cannot make the sacrifice, so they'll sacrifice the child. And I understand. It's not that I'm saying that that's an easy decision. I understand, but the decision was made before that. And at that point, you're going to have to sacrifice something else, not the child's life. So then we put them on sacrifice. And it's to God, it's the same. I mean, I know that people will rationalize and try and say, well, those are two different things. That's a big difference between putting a baby on Moloch's molten hands, but not to God. Same to him. False prophets, crooked shepherds, and wicked leaders. This is the religious to the governmental. Where are we at as a nation? Who run, who's steering the ship? God says, because that's what he's going to point to. I'll only give an account for what I steered this ship. But collectively, God will look at all of the men and women in some cases, and who's steering the ship, and God says, collectively, I can see where you're steering it. It's right to Babylon, right? It's right to wickedness. So false prophets, crooked shepherds, wicked leaders, and we have a lot of that problem as well. Uh, Covetousness and self centered that kind of goes without saying. Uh, we have magazines called Self. Uh, I don't think even Israel figured that one out. So um, you know, we've got everything: Facebook, MySpace, Self. I mean, if you talk about a self-centered society, I think the ancient countries, if they could see some of the things that we've come up with, would be would be like, "Wow, we thought we were self-centered." I get, I sometimes I, I I was looking at it because I've studied so many ancient things lately to to understand prophecy at the end, a lot of times you've got to look way back to the ancient times because the nations are mentioned and you're like Lord, what are you trying to say with this? And a lot of prophecies go all the way back to things like Isaac and Ishmael, right? And you go back and you look at these things I was, and you look at archaeology and things like that and you're like, what in the world would people think? Like we just got in, a, in our house uh, one of those magazines for Sur You guys know where that is? They're, you know, I love their cool stuff. If you like to bake and stuff like that my daughters like to bake. But it, it's amazing, like if if you have what we, like in our house, we have everything we essentially need, but then uh, you look in this magazine, and you're like, well, I don't have a knife with polka dots on it. Well, I don't have that kind of bowl. It's the same bowl as you have, but it's just, it's got a cooler design on it. You know, and you realize that if, if America ever did crumble, the things that would be left in the, uh, kind of the, you know, archaeologists would like uncover one day, you'd be like, what is this? They're like, there's four blenders. One's pink, one's blue, one's orange. One... <laughs> you know, it's like, they're like, what's the functional? They, they would be. What was the functional purpose here? Not no functional. Just one for each season. <laughs> Culture of lying and dishonesty. Again, these were Israel's national sins. These are what the prophets called out. These are what God told the prophets. Tell the people. These are the reasons I am going to destroy you. He didn't mince any word. These are the reasons I'm going to tear you, these are God's literal words, tear you apart. These are the reasons I'm going to just pour out my fury upon you, carry you away. Culture of lying and dishonesty. There's been a lot of articles done about America, how dishonest the nation is now. And how many times people lie on a daily basis now. And, and don't tell the truth, and color the truth, and tell half-truths. And boy, we as a church, we, we can't do that. We've all been guilty of that, haven't we? We Can't do that. We don't want to be dishonest. God wants us to be a truthful tongue. Our yes means yes, and our no means no, and really speaking the truth. But this is the culture we live in today, culture of lying and dishonesty. And people don't care anymore. Leaders can lie, and people don't care. doesn't matter. And leaders now know that people don't care, so that's why they just tell more lies. People believe it, and even if they don't believe it, they don't care anyway. Haughty and prideful. Um, I think it's Isaiah there. Uh, I think it's the Isaiah 3.16. talks about the women with just a haughty look, that they walk haughty. Isn't that weird? God doesn't like people walking haughty. Now, you know it when you see it, don't you? And I know that we don't think of that as a sin in our country, but God hates a haughty look. You have to be, I mean, you and I, it, we, as we walk in the Spirit, the great thing is when you walk in the Spirit, you won't have a haughty look. You'll have a humble look. Now, it won't be a false humility, won't be, look how pious I am, that kind of thing. It's, it truly is an unassuming, uh, but haughty, prideful, hearts like you know, bronze, Violence and injustice, very, very prevalent. Jerusalem was a bloody city. The Bible tells us it was uh, really, really a uh, a place where crime had become uh, norm. I mean, and the leaders were violent. The people were violent. They liked violence. Uh, uh, not everyone, but uh, the, you know, there was an element that certainly did. And uh, in America today, it's interesting. Uh, we now have something that the the previous world didn't have. Like, you know, you think of the Romans when they started to love violence. They didn't have TV, so they had to come to the Colosseum and watch people killed. Now Americans today can just click on the TV and they can watch murders all night and feel like, well, it's just something I'm watching. But is it any different really not. I mean, it's a bloodshed society. Violence is very, very popular in our country. Injustice, I put them together, but uh, injustice is is something that we certainly have. Our justice system, uh, My, our family went through this with, with my sister's uh, situation, and uh, justice system is, is really, really, really uh, flawed in America today. And so that was true in ancient Israel as well. And lastly, this is an interesting one. And a, God calls literally out that they had an abundance of idleness. You'll, you know the old, uh, um, what's the devil's workshop? Uh, <laughs> idleness is the devil's workshop, right? A lot of truth to that. Uh, Israel, because they had, they had become so kind of affluent at a po- certain point, they had too much time on their hands. And when they had a lot of time on their hands, they became very, very self-absorbed. And that self-absorption led to all kinds of sins. And so this was Israel's national sins. Um, Now, what does that mean? So what happens with America? Well, we continue to pray for revival. Every Sunday, I have you guys stand up. I hope, I, don't, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I hope all of you pray for revival on a regular basis. I, I pray for it for this church. I believe this church needs revival. I pray for all churches where th- that are truly the body of Christ. I don't mean just Calvary chapels. I mean the true body of Christ, which in some churches might be a tiny percentage of the church might be actually saved. You, you can probably go to some churches where 90% of the people are lost you got other churches where perhaps 90% are saved. Only the Lord knows. But I pray for revival in the church and then lastly in this nation. But even if we have revival, I don't believe that if America, if God has already marked a day, it does not mean that anything changes. The reason is, is we can see that we have historical precedence on this in the Scriptures. And it's not just Israel. Remember, Nineveh had a great revival, didn't they? One day, the whole city—that was the most wicked city, perhaps, on the face of the earth—that day. And remember, they had the prophet who did not want to preach to Nineveh, and they still all—they got down with ashes and ripped their clothes and, and sackcloth ashes, and they repented, and it was a genuine repentance. But I don't know if you know this, but not too long after that, Nineveh was an evil city again, and they were judged. They were part of the Assyrian Empire. Well, Israel had similar things. I I don't want you to read the small print. My point is I have two patterns here. Wickedness, repentance, judgment. Wickedness, repentance, judgment. And we've had two examples that I put up here. Not only do you have Nineveh, which is a third example of the same thing. Wickedness, repentance, still judgment came. Jonah got his wish. Yeah. If he'd just hung out a little longer, stayed, lived a little longer, he'd have got a chance to see what he really wanted to see. Um, but wickedness, Manasseh, look at Manasseh here. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Israel to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had replaced. So Israel became worse than the Canaanites that were there before him. And that's pretty bad. I mean, again, that goes back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember I told you they had exceeded Sodom and Gomorrah, all the nations before them. And then Manassas, in 2 Chronicles, same chapter, he actually repents. Now, if you think any American leader has ever been wicked, you ain't seen nothing because we have never had a Manassas. I thank every leader we've ever had, I thank the Lord for compared to Manassas. Manassas killed people at the drop. He was violent. He wasn't just a, a guy that lied a lot or, or was having adultery or uh you know just was kind of pagan in his his lifestyle. He truly was a vile, evil man. He he, he got the children of Israel doing child sacrifice. Uh, He was known as a bloody king because, again, he would execute people on a regular basis. In other words, if you had an issue with Manassas, your head was gone. And yet the Lord gave him repentance, unbelievable God's grace, that God actually gave Manasseh's personal repentance. And then the whole nation, as best we can tell, appears to, you can see in in the repentance there, the whole nation got rid of the idols and cleaned up and started worshiping the Lord. But Jeremiah 15, 4, I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh." Manasseh. Even though he repented, even though the people repented, God says, I haven't forgotten what Manasseh and the people did. I forgave them. Many of them were redeemed, but the judgment's still coming. Same thing happens down here. Ammon, he was the son of Manasseh. And Ammon did wicked just like his father. So then it tells us here that he he served the idols of his father and worshipped them. But then Ammon has a son named Josiah. And Josiah was a righteous king. So much so that even says now before him there was none like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might according to all the law of Moses. He got rid of the false prophets. He got rid of the high places. He brought the law back. They read the scriptures together. The nation had revival, nationwide repentance and revival. What happens? Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of the provocations which Manasseh, had provoked him. Remember, he had already forgiven Manasseh. Josiah does even better than Manasseh. His repentance is even way more fruitful than Manasseh's. But God still says, nevertheless, my anger is still hot. Why? My name. Very bottom, I put it in red. My name. My name was defamed in all the world. Folks, if we know one thing about America, we, can, we, we know that, well, a couple things about, we know this about God. God would love to see revival in America. But that doesn't mean the judgment still won't come. We already know it absolutely will come because the tribulation period will be all the nations. So that all that you're talking about is time frame. The end state will be the same. Amen? It's only time frame. It's Does God give grace for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? We don't know. But we do know this, that judgment will come regardless because His name has been profaned again and again and again and again. And that's where... And so even though America's not in prophecy, we we still know, in essence that we are on a one-way ticket to the Lord's judgment with our current state. We're profaning His name. We have all the same national sins that Israel did. We have all the same leader, the leadership of America of all the major, of all the major pieces of this country, the media, Hollywood, Wall Street, Washington, all across the country, academia, school systems, It's all run by people who do not follow the Lord as a whole. Yeah, there's some individuals in there. There's actually some godly people uh, probably working for every one of those groups. But they don't run it, do they? They're like Daniel was for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not a godly man. Neither was Darius the Great or Cyrus the Great. Daniel worked for them. But he didn't run the show. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar ultimately decided to do, Nebuchadnezzar did. What Darius wanted to do? Darius did. Now he could ask Daniel, say, Daniel, what do you think about this? Well, I think high places are evil. Thanks for your opinion. Build some more high places. But Daniel, you really are a smart Hebrew. And he made him a governor. Right? Why? Because he could get a lot out of him. Which is kind of something to think about with America as we come to kind of our last uh, few minutes together, let's take a look um, So all that. America's not mentioned in the Bible. American prophecy, scriptural possibilities um, and clues. Uh, we have no way of knowing what America uh, will ultimately what, what will become of America in these last days. But I do think that we, we do have some clues, a couple of things. Number one, the Lord tells us that those that bless Israel, God will bless, right? If America truly was, in some respects, a midwife to Israel, um, if we ever decide to cease to be at Israel's side, we got real problems. Now, we already have real problems. <laughs> we already have it because we've already defamed the Lord's name. But, abandoning Israel, we've already abandoned God as a, as a leadership. I'm not saying as individuals. There's a lot of Christian families, a lot of godly families, but as a, as a national leadership in every sector, I can't find any sector that's following the Lord. But as, as a national leadership, we still have stood by Israel to date, and uh, so that those that bless Israel, the Lord will bless. Those that curse Israel, He will curse. So that would, be, that would be a big, big, big problem for our country. Now, God still wants us to see genuine repentance and revival, but I'm saying that America's connection to Israel, uh, I think, is very important because Israel is so central to the end times, so central. Again, the church will actually be pulled out, will not be central, Israel will become front and center. When we get to the tribulation on Sunday, God's two purposes of the tribulation, well, not the only two purposes, but two two of the primary ones, dealing with Israel, time of Jacob's trouble, and judgment on the nations. They've all defamed His name, right? They've all resisted His name. They've all resisted the the blood-stained hands and feet of Jesus. So that is ultimately God's going to deal with Israel, but He's also going to deal with all those who have rejected the gospel. And America will have many people that will have rejected the gospel, right? Millions. We've got 360 million people. I don't know how many are born again. But, uh, but that's going to be how the Lord's going to judge all the nations. But America, so Israel, one thing. Um, the other thing that's interesting is America still has, I don't know, how. even if you said 10% of our country was, was soundly saved and born again. Maybe you say... 20%, 25%. I don't know what the percentage is of people that are truly saved in America. I'm not talking about people that claim to be Christian. Um, that number is bogus. Uh, it's just a matter of how bogus it is. So only the Lord knows who is really saved, right? Moses didn't know how many saved people were in Sodom, and he started working God down is it's just lower. <laughs> is it here? Lower. <laughs> how about here? It's lower. So he, he didn't know, and we don't either. But God says, uh, if, if we know that the, I'm sorry, if we know that the rapture is going to take out the church, I do know that America would be heavily impacted by a rapture when it comes to believers. I, in my lifetime, I have found that most truly spirit-filled believers are, generally speaking, some of the best employees that any company has. I've often thought what it would be like in America if all of the born-again Christians went on strike for a week. They have a big impact. Because in some ways, we're the people they love to hate. But when they're not there to kick anymore, you kind of miss them. Daniel was the guy that all of the, all of the, the satraps hated Daniel. But, but the kingdoms benefited from Daniel take Daniel out of the mix, and there's no one to kind of share some of the wisdom he had. Remember, they wanted to kill him. He wanted to get him in a lion's den, anything, they get Shadrach and Meshach in the, in, in the fire, get rid of these guys, but yet the kings always at the end of the day would kind of realize, we really benefit from these guys, even though they're kind of weird. They believe in that Hebrew God and all that stuff, but we benefit from them. So I believe from America's perspective, uh, Whenever the rapture takes place, I believe it will have a huge impact on America because I believe that there will be a void where people were actually sometimes the glue of holding things together. They were the honest ones. They were, keep, they were doing, doing certain jobs that other people weren't do, doing, maybe even covering for some people's work, all that kind of stuff. And you look at if all those were taken out at a certain time, that'll have a big impact. We've got a lot of people in America that don't want to work at all. Even if you said, hey, I'll give you my job, I'm not interested, right? That'll have a big impact. One of the things that have made America great was we had an incredibly great work ethic. If you take a bunch of the work ethic out, you've got even more problems because it's a competitive world marketplace. I worked for an international company. It's a competitive world marketplace. And a lot of the other countries, though they may not have a moral background that America has, they have incredible work ethics, some of them. And that's why places like India uh, are set to just continue to rise and so America could be in a lot of trouble with, with something uh, like the rapture. Um, turn with me to uh, Ezekiel chapter 38. We'll look at one spot. The, the only spot that I think, the only spot I think that um, even remotely um, mentions a modern. Nation that could include uh, America by name. Now you know that, uh, or you maybe don't know, but um, uh, 38 and 39 both deal with um, Magog, uh, which is Russia, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tabal, and then we see uh, in verse 5 of chapter 38 Persia, Ethiopia, Libya. Uh, All of them with their uh, shield and helmet, Gomer, and all of its troops. So these are uh, modern-day Iran. Uh, When it says Ethiopia, I personally don't believe it means just the country of Ethiopia. I believe it means the Central African Nations, because the old Ethiopian Empire was not even where Ethiopia proper is today. It occupied the Central Corridor of Africa, so you had Egypt ruled the top part of Africa, and Ethiopia ruled the second. Sometimes they ruled together, um, but uh, I don't think Egypt's listed here for a specific reason. We'll look at that in just a quick, a uh, quick second before we uh, end up. And Libya, I believe, means the other northern African nations—not just Libya, but probably Morocco, Tunisia, those those areas—and uh, then Persia. Uh, not only means Iran, but also could mean places that were attached to the old Persian Empire. So it could be part of Pakistan, Afghanistan. The area of Persia uh, is, is, fairly, um, is fairly large, so it may not be just what is uh, modern-day Iran. But nevertheless, uh, when they come against Israel, these nations will attack Israel. Russia will lead them, it, it's pretty clear. Gog is a title for uh, the leader of Russia... Uh, you know, Russia used to have czars. Today, they have uh, Vladimir Putin uh, as their leader. But nevertheless, at some point, um, Russia will probably go back to some different title—not that, not, not that it'll be Gog, uh, but they might have a specific title for uh, their ruler. It will be an absolute leader. And, um, and and by the way, Vladimir Putin gives all the signs that he would like full absolute control. Remember, he actually rewrote their constitution. Uh, so uh, so he could actually come back into power or, or something to that effect. So if you look at uh, verse 13, actually starting verse 12, uh, it says, uh, they'll come down to take plunder and take booty and stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited. That's Israel that was, was waste places but now is inhabited. And against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Now if you were here with us uh, when I talked about Israel blooming, Israel certainly is doing all of these things in the modern age. They have acquired their blooming, and then verse 13, Sheba and Dedan, that is South, that's that's modern-day Saudi Arabia, and the countries on the Arabian Peninsula, like Bahrain, United Arab Emirates, all that area down there, uh, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions, will say to you, have you come to take plunder?" Uh, I don't personally think America, I I bring this up to say I don't think America's actually in this list. Um, Though I think Tarshish and the Young Lions could be England and uh, and not just, uh, I don't think it's just England and the British Commonwealth countries, which would be like Canada and Australia. By the way, the United States has never been, never, a British Commonwealth country. So, in the truest sense of the word, we're not even a young lion yes we we defeated uh, uh the u k or Great Britain back in the day, but we 're not a British Commonwealth country today, and we 've never been a British Commonwealth country. The British Commonwealth countries are like India and Australia Jamaica you know there's a lot of countries that still have British Commonwealth state status canada and and those but Tarshish has never been definitively England. Uh, the best we can tell is Tarshish. You have the Straits of Gibraltar at the Mediterranean Sea where you go through, and uh, the best history and archaeology says that Tarshish was considered that area of Spain that hugged against the Mediterranean there, uh, that that was considered Tarshish definitively. But because that was Spain, and we know for certain that ships would come down from what were the British Isles with 10. Solomon got 10 through that. They would actually take 10 out of the ground, bring it to that area of Spain, and then the Phoenician ship traders, Solomon, had, Solomon and Hiram of Tyre, they had all these uh, shipping networks that went all over the world, and they would actually exchange goods there. So this is my own personal belief. I believe when it says Tarshish, it means not, not just that specific land, but it was the business world. And the young lions, this is what I believe, uh, are the young nations that have prospered in the modern business era, because Tarshish was the center of where all these ships would come with ivory and tin and copper and gold and precious gems and silk and all these things, and they would actually they would take place there, and would also take place from India up around the Arabian Peninsula up through the Red Sea, and there was a port at the lower part of Israel where, where Solomon also brought it. Uh, That's where, remember, Solomon brought in wealth from all over the world. And so Tarshish, and we also know that Tarshish is in that direction because Jonah went to Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean Sea, and he was trying to go away from the Lord. Well, the only way you can go away from the Lord from Joppa is to go west. So that's how uh, we kind of know that Tarshish is in that direction. And if you look at the modern era, the modern era, the seat of business has basically been two places, London and New York. So you go through the Straits of Gibraltar, Tarshish is that way, but we don't know exactly what, uh, what the prophet is saying there. So that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. Another section that I just find interesting, turn with me to Isaiah 18. And actually, this is what I find interesting potentially for America. Again, we, we, don't, we don't see America mentioned, but are there some clues of things that, that may involve the United States or not? Now, the 17th chapter of Isaiah, is best anybody can tell, has never happened yet. So we don't have time to go through 17. But 17, if you look at your Bibles in verse 1, the burden against Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city. Damascus has never ceased from being a city from its inception. It's the oldest city in the world. So we immediately know that the 17th chapter is a yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecy. Now, we know that Syria is in a zoo of a mess right now, isn't it? Any number of things could happen for Syria to cease to be a city. They could destroy themselves, but I believe, and we don't have time to go through it tonight, but the 17th chapter... I believe if you read the whole chapter, what I believe takes place here is that Israel is pulled into some sort of um, war with Syria. And at some point Damascus is completely obliterated. What's interesting is in verse 4 it says, "...in that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob shall wane, and the fatness of his flesh shall grow lean." It shall be when the harvesters gather grain. Uh, In other words, it goes on to say that Israel's crops go through a severe time where they don't grow well. Damascus is completely reduced as a city. It mentions Ephraim, which is the northern part of Israel, and all of a sudden the olive trees are only producing a fraction of the number of olives they were before. Can you imagine if nuclear fallout, if, if, if Damascus is incinerated, the nuclear fallout, the negative effect it would have on vegetation all throughout Israel. But it goes on. It says in that day in verse 7 that Israel will look to, uh, in that day they'll look to his Maker. Now, I don't believe that this is full repentance and revival yet. I believe it's the seeds of it because it says that they'll look to their Maker. Their eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. Right now, most of Israel, Israel is not religious. But all of a sudden, they might start to have respect. Like, maybe we should get our Bibles out. Maybe, maybe those Christians that have been saying that Isaiah said this and Jeremiah, maybe we should read the 17th chapter. Maybe it gives us some insight. So I actually believe that at this point, Israel begins to consider God again. Not a, not a full turning to God. It goes on in the 10th verse because you have forgotten the God of your salvation, you have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold. Uh, again, I believe all this is either at the very end of the last days just before the tribulation or actually at the beginning part of the tribulation. And actually if you go back to uh, Ezekiel 38, uh, the reason why I say that, I'll just read it, you don't have to go back there, Ezekiel 38, it says in verse 18, and it will come to pass at the same time when God comes against the land of Israel that my fury will show on my face, that the trigger point of Russia coming against Israel is either the start of the tribulation or just at the very end of the last days. And then the latter part of 17, it says the nations will rush like the rushing of God, but God will rebuke them. And the 14th verse says, then behold at even time trouble, and before morning he is no more. I believe that is Russia. I believe it corresponds to Ezekiel 38, and I believe that Russia is defeated in one moment. By the Lord, just as it says in the 38th chapter, it says that Israel has, even in time they have trouble, but by morning the attackers are no more, because why? Israel didn't do it, God did it, that's listed in the 38th and 37th chapter, then the weapons are burned for seven years, which again would correspond to the seven year tribulation or at least prior to it, that's in the 39th chapter. Uh, Real quick, go over to 19. I know I'm moving fast here, but I just want to Wrap it up, and let, you can say this stuff on your own. The 19th chapter is against Egypt. The burden against Egypt, verse 1, Behold, the Lord rise on a swift cloud. I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother. It goes on to say uh, in verse 5, The waters will fail from the sea, and the river will be wasted and dried up. The Nile River will completely become bone dry. The cotton industry goes on to say that. There will be no fishing industry and they'll end up with an evil, evil ruler. So I think that uh, the 19th chapter also has yet to take place. Now go back to 18. 18's interesting because there's some uh, odd things about 18. Chapter 18, um, Matthew Henry wrote a couple hundred years ago that he said uh, this land of which 18 speaks of, um, there's been much disagreement about who it is. And there still is, because Isaiah makes a bunch of proclamations, uh, and especially from chapters 1 to 24, he, procl- uh, he makes woes or proclamations against a bunch, a bunch of different nations, Moab, Edom, Egypt, Babylon, you know, Syria, Ethiopia, all these different places that he makes proclamation woes against. But in the 18th chapter, uh, I do believe that this proclamation is to Ethiopia, but I also believe that because of Midrash and principles of duality, it may also point to a future state as well. Although I do believe that it, uh, it refers uh, to the nation of Ethiopia. Now, if you look in your Bibles in verse 1, it says, "'Woe to the land shadowed with buzzing wings!' which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of reeds on the waters. Go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and of smooth skin, to a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and shredding down, whose land the rivers divide. All the inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you shall see it. Now, if you read that same passage, by the way, in, your Jew, in the Jewish Bible here, which uh, um, I have one right here, I won't read it, but actually says in verse 3, when he lifts up a shofar, right, which is the horn, um, which is interesting because it goes on uh, to say in verse four, "For the Lord said to me, I will take my rest." If you read it in the Jewish Bible, it says God will turn, and it basically says God will do nothing. He basically will fold his arms at whatever moment he's speaking of here. It's a very, it's a very. Um, Interesting passage because all the other places he names the country specifically. This country, uh, he says, is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. And then he talks about which sends ambassadors by sea. And then it goes on in verse 4, or verse 5, for uh, before the harvest when the bud is perfect. Uh, I think my Jewish Bible says uh, when everything is flowering. And, and I kind of look at this as potentially connected. The reason why, if you look at the, eight, the 17th chapter is very future, hasn't happened. The 19th chapter is future, hasn't happened. The 18th chapter uh, could very speak, well speak to the um, Ethiopian, the last probably great pharaoh, although he was a pharaoh of Ethiopia, not of Egypt. Well, he had Egypt as well, but his, his name was Terhaka. And he fought against the Assyrians. He won his first battle there. He ultimately ended up, being, um, he also ended up being defeated by the Assyrians. You can see that in the 20th chapter. You can see where the sign against Egypt and Ethiopia is in the 20th chapter. But at the end of this chapter, uh, in, in the 18th chapter, it says in verse 7, at that time, a present will be brought to the Lord of hosts. Uh, it talks about a time of judgment in verse 6. The mountain uh, the, they'll be uh, left together for the mountains of prey. Uh, the beast will actually feed on these people from summer to winter, a time of judgment, and uh, they'll ultimately bring a gift to Mount Zion. And it's just uh, one of those passages. Uh, I, I, I go go forward. I'll just show a couple of things here real quick. Interesting thing. This is my, that's the oldest known map of Egypt. I mean of Africa. 1554. You can see e- Ethiopia is in the center here. Go to the next slide. The Atlantic Ocean over here used to be called at some was the Ethiopian Ocean down here. So this was all Ethiopia in here. Go forward. You can see that's lower Ethiopia, upper Ethiopia, and again, central part of the country. Egypt kind of had the dominion there, and and they fought against each other a lot. Sometimes Egypt was in control, sometimes Ethiopia was in control, but uh, the Ethiopian empire all in this area. And then lastly, um, this is 1847, a newer map, and you can see Ethiopia right in here. So the scriptures say beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. um, I do believe that the text itself does apply to Terhaka, and eventually he was defeated uh, and defeated so soundly by the, by the Assyrians that they actually, the Assyrians were so wicked, they actually cut off the heads of all the people in villages and made them piles. Um, and because Terhaka and the Assyrians went at it for quite a while, they had three battles against each other. Finally, Assyria came down and won. And the uh, Ethiopians were, were known for being great warriors. But interestingly enough, uh, and this is just one of those things. You look at the scriptures and say, "Lord, is there some future reference here as well?" Because the seventeenth chapter is very future related to Israel. The nineteenth chapter is very future related to Egypt, which is why Egypt doesn't seem to show up in the thirty-eighth chapter. Why? Because they're in a massive civil war. They—they're not. They'd end up not being in the conglomeration against Israel. And then, what took place in the ancient time with Ethiopia? is when the shofar was when the shofar was uh, blown on the top of the mountain, what it was saying at that time was from that time Assyria was coming down as nations were coming against Israel, judgment would follow and some people believe that that judgment was for the eighteenth chapter was on the Assyrians because they lost they lost one of the battles and lost uh, and had a uh, hundreds of thousands of men die. But then you could also say, yeah, but it's probably not Assyria because it says, woe to the people beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So it would apply potentially to Ethiopians. But also, it tells us more about them. The land shadowed with buzzing wings. And uh, so there are some folks that actually, uh, I, I stumbled upon this stuff. I was reading, I've always had questions about the 18th chapter. There's, there's people that believe the United States uh, potentially, is here in the 18th chapter. I'm not telling you this is the United States. Uh, I have no idea of knowing. I do think there's some curious things. We have more air traffic than any country in the world. We're the land of shadow, uh, shadow and wings. Uh, if you look at where Ethiopia was in the, I- in the mind of Isaiah, Ethiopia was at the end of the world. He says, go beyond the rivers of Ethiopia and across the sea. Um, we now know that ancient... African um, uh, reed ships made of uh, papyrus actually made it all the way to America well before Christopher Columbus ever got here. What I also find kind of interesting, Isaiah would have no way of knowing this, is America is inextricably connected to Africa. Inextricably connected. And take a look at... uh, uh, These are... Our slave routes were almost identical it went from the central part of Africa back and forth, and the sea in your Bibles, all, almost every time, but once it means south, it always means west, where it says in the text. So it says, to the sea, go beyond the rivers of Africa to a people that are tall. The American, United States were the tallest people in the world up until 2007, and for over 100 years. We've been the tallest nation on the earth. Smooth skin, most of our men shave, but this is all true true of the Ethiopian empire because they also were tall and they didn't have facial hair. So again, I believe Isaiah wrote this. And the reason why I think this is interesting is it's somewhat akin to the way potentially uh, Jonathan Kahn, when he was reading Isaiah chapter 9, he knows it's about Israel, but it seems to speak vibration forward to America because we've actually literally, if, how many of you watch the Isaiah 9-10 judgment? We've actually said, our leaders have said everything in Isaiah 9 as if we were there. And then you have a chapter like the 18th chapter which seems to fit in the same period if America were to abandon Israel, the shofar is blown, Russia's coming down, all of a sudden does something happen to our own nation in the similar time frame that we fall off, we can be of no help to Israel. Woe to that land. I don't know. Again, America's not mentioned in the Scriptures. (laughs) So these are things that some of these things uh, we'll just learn more as time goes on, won't we? Uh, As we get closer and closer as things happen, uh, I think more and more more things will become clear. But we know this, uh, we still uh, are called to be just like the prophets of old, speaking the truth, praying, standing in the gap. Remember it said, and I looked and was there anyone to stand in the gap and I found none. Now you and I may not be able to be a leader in this country, but we don't have to be to stand in the gap. Amen? For our nation. Let's close in prayer. Father,